Thanks for tuning in to Best Show Ever, a podcast presented by the Englert Theater. In today's episode, we talk to the man with the camera, Mike Weber, about his career in concert photography and his thoughts on the Iowa City Cedar Rapids music scene. Then we have a very special interview with my boss and newly appointed interim executive director for the Englert, John Schickadens. He gives us some insight into his hopes for the future of the Englert, as well as his best show ever. But first, we have an important announcement. The Englert family is once again expanding. We're seeking candidates for three key positions in our organization, including a senior programming manager, a marketing manager, and a membership coordinator. Join us in our mission of activating positive community growth through the arts and apply today. Mike Weber, AKA Shadow Fox Photography, is a prolific freelance photographer in the Iowa art scene, specializing in concert photography. Alongside gig photography, he recently started a portrait series focusing on artists and musicians in the corridor, and he's one of the last standing independent film developers in the region, so if you're sitting on some film, you know the man to call. Mike, 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 Mike. So lovely to have you here um, on the Best Show Ever podcast. I know there's going to be a lot of people excited to hear from you, so thanks so much for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, so we got to start start off with a, a, a softball for you here. Um, how did you get into concert photography, um, and what did that beginning look like for you? So this started in 2009. Uh, I had just started a job at uh, a camera shop in Cedar Rapids, PhotoPro, for those uh, Cedar Rapidians who are listening. Is it and still around? It is not still around. They closed fall of last year. Yeah. Okay. We don't have any camera shop within 100 oddish miles of the corridor. I think we've still got one in Des Moines and I think one in Davenport. And I think that's it for the state. Um, but yeah, so I started working there and one of the guys did an open mic night and he just convinced me to come down and take some photos of him playing. And as things happen in the music scene, once you meet one person, you meet two people, then you meet four people, then you meet eight people and so on and so forth. So I did kind of the open mic scene in Cedar Rapids for a couple of years off and on. And uh, then when I met my now wife, um, she is really big into the music scene. And so she started bringing me out to more shows. Um, again, people who are more familiar with like the more uh, rock scene, especially in Cedar Rapids, will know Nubby. Uh, my wife is close friends with them, so I started seeing them play, and then I met Brooke Hoover, and just kind of snowballed from there. Uh, and then in 2015, I started uh, coming down to Iowa City, because uh, Kane was running an open mic at Yacht Club, and that was a every week thing. And it was different from the open mics that I shot in CR, um, because it wasn't just... You know, the ones in, in Cedar Rapids are people who are really just starting out. There wasn't a lot of like established talent going to those. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas the open mic that Kane ran was a combination of everything. So we had people who like this was their first time on stage, as well as established artists coming down and using it as a platform to try out new songs, to kind of get a feel, to jam with other people. Because it's like, you know, 
Kane has been around forever and Kane played all the time. And then there was also like the Hex Girls. I, the very first time they played live was at Yacht Club. And I have photos of the very wow. first show that they played. And now they're at Hinterland today. That's crazy. Yeah. Like in two hours or something like that. <laughs> What's different about doing photo- concert photography versus just doing standard portraitures? Like, why why did you dive so hard into that direction of photography? Well, I think for me, it, it has a lot to do with working with other artists. Because uh, then there's, there is a somewhat collaborative nature um, when you are shooting a show. And some artists kind of feed into this more than others. Um, but like when, when there's a photographer in the crowd, most performers start to react. Most performers start to observe when I'm coming up to the stage and they start to, you know, ham it up. Um, Brooke Hoover, Surf Zombies, great example of that. He's always, like, he's a showman to begin with, but, like, when I'm at shows that he's playing, he always goes from, like, 8 to 11 when I'm at the front of the stage. Mm. And that's just, so, like, 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 to me, there's a certain energy that comes out of it. And um, even... Moving past that, there's the, um, you know, there's there's the element that like I'm passionate about music, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of music that happens in Eastern Iowa, especially in Iowa City, and I don't feel like we get enough of it covered. You know, there's a lot of people out there who who do a lot of gig photography. Uh, you know, historically, uh, we used to have Zach Newman at Little Village, and he would cover a lot, and Little Village would focus on but they would kind of cherry pick their shows. Right. And there was a lot of stuff that I felt was happening that wasn't getting the spotlight. So that's why I kept kind of taking it upon myself to go out to as many shows as I can and photograph as many bands as I can. Cause I feel like I'm building a, you know, like a historical record of uh, music in, in Eastern Iowa. You know, we are at a point where, you know, I'm just taking a guess here. It's been a while since, since I've done a, actual count but i'm in the 400s of gigs that i've shot mm-hmm. you know i it's, i think my my drive that has my gig photography on it it's something like six or seven terabytes of oh my gosh. raw photos over the last you know decade or so yeah um but like comparing to, to actually get more specifically to your question um you know when you're doing other types of photography like especially uh portrait portrait work where you're working with like one person and you're kind of able to like control and dictate the situation. Uh, It is, I have a lot more control in those types of environments and I am able to craft it however I want. Whereas when you're Mm -hmm. shooting a gig, a gig to me is more similar to like uh, photojournalism or even weddings to a certain extent is because I can't control what's happening. I have to find the moments as they naturally occur and I have to be able to capture them. So I feel like there's a certain skill level that, that is involved with doing uh, gig work because you do have to be observant. You do have to be ready to respond and you don't have the luxury of being like, well, let's, let's reshoot this. Like if a moment mm-hmm. happens and I don't catch it, it's gone. Mm. It really is like a game. And I, you talked about this on the um, Iowa Public Radio interview you did a few years back. And I, I loved the way you're talking about it. Like 
You have certain settings on your camera for different band members because they have different lighting. And then you might be waiting for someone to step forward into like a certain lighting. Like you're just waiting to feel like they're about to step into the light and then like you snap. It really is like a game, an adrenaline sort of rush. When you catch that moment, it's like it really is catching a moment in time. And I did want to ask you about that sort of um, archival nature of, of what you're doing um, and not to be extra, but you know, <laughs> the, the photos that you take are more than just, you know, maybe, at, maybe at the very beginning, you know, they're marketing tools for bands, their social media, um, they can use it on their websites, you know, things like that, just sort of the surface level, how it's just helpful for bands to have, great photos. But then like, as time goes on, you know, band people, bands break up, you know, venues close, people move away, people even pass away. But you have all of these photos that have captured like the, those moments in people's lives and provides a relic for people in their lives. Like I was looking back on one you did, uh, you did for Penny Peach um, before the pandemic. And yeah, just looking back one year, I'm like, God, I'm so glad these photos exist. And like this moment, I can remember this now and see the room and see the people who are there because like, it feels like a million years ago. Um, and yeah, I was going to ask, you know, how, how often are you, are you thinking about that element and what's been some of the more meaningful feedback you've gotten, you know, regarding your photography? Well, I mean, it's something like, I feel like this concept of my work having an archival nature to it. Um, I feel like I came to that conclusion, I want to say like 2016, 2017. And I started realizing like at first, so like from 2009 to 2015, like I kind of shot shows here and there when the stars aligned, there was the right band at the right venue, that sort of thing. I had the night off work. I didn't have to open in the morning, that sort of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, but in 2015 was when I transitioned into, uh, that was my first go around of trying to be a freelance photographer, mm -hmm. which did end up with me getting another job in 2017, but back to freelance again. Anyway, um, but I, I started realizing that like after the initial of the, the initial thought of like, I just want to, I want to shoot this many shows this week and then this many shows and this many shows. And then I got to the point where I'm like looking at, at the year's end. So like in 2016, 2017, I was look, looking back at, you know, already two or three years of really going hard, really trying to shoot as many shows as possible and realizing it's like, wow, just over these couple of years, I have well over a hundred. I think at that point, like just those couple of years added up to something like, I think it was like 140, 150 gigs just in like two, two or three years. And I started realizing that because of the frequency that I'm going out, I am, I do have a, not to, you know, make a pun, but I have a picture <laughs> of, of the scene from that time period. And that's when I started realizing that my work over time is going to change as the, the scene changes and is going to represent various points of history for Iowa music. And as the years keep going on, I'm now at a point where I have been shooting gigs for over 10 years and I have this large volume of work 
and now we're starting to get to into the idea it's like what do we do with it how do i make the, the work more accessible mm. how do i get this work this older work that you know people probably saw maybe saw when i shot the shows maybe they didn't uh you know newer people in in, in the scene like you know i shot shows for half a decade before i met you mm. you know all of these people, like every year we have new bands, every year we, we have people who are coming up and getting into the scene. So every year there are new people who are getting into either playing music or going to music that more than likely haven't seen the bulk of the work I've done. And so now we're getting to a point of, of a, how do I, what can I do with this work to make it more accessible? And I do think I'm moving towards a path once I figure stuff out in the next couple of years of maybe trying to pull a book together with all of this content. Uh, because yeah, I, to, to me, it's important to me, like inevitably we're going to find a band that does something special and either breaks up, moves on, goes their separate ways. And the work that I created is going to be significant to a certain group of people. And I want, I want that to be there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'd buy into that, Mike, for sure. <laughs> Um, I have one last question, and we usually don't ask this question for this part, for this interview, but because you're special, I'm going to ask it anyway. All right. Do you have a best show ever? Do you have one that just sticks out in your mind like that was the most transformative thing I've ever seen in my life? Yeah, I do. Um, and it's a two-part answer because, like, broadly, I'm going to say I was a staff photographer uh, in 2018 for 8035. I actually think that was the first time that you and I technically met because I don't oh. think I had seen you as a performer before. So Maybe. at that point, I yeah. identified you as a photographer. Um, significant, definitely remember you handing an ear of corn to car seat headrest. <laughs> that happened, yeah. That was a good time. That was my bit that year. But so like broadly speaking, <laughs> like like that, that experience I shot, I don't know, I want to say it was like 30 sets over the two days so like that like that was 48 hours of me just being like just submerged in festival culture and music and it was amazing but specifically the set that was the most transformative for me uh was a band i saw a couple times already so i wasn't expecting to be really be wowed by it but there was just something there was an energy about the um, jeff rosenstock set that year mm. And I remember the thing that, that I remember that like was just a slightly scary and awe-inspiring moment was like I was in the pit and I was taking pictures of the stage and I decided to turn around and get a picture of the crowd. And the front of the crowd is just like grabbing the fence, like the gate and just like picking it up and dropping it. And I'm like, all this crowd needs to do is pick it up and decide to go forward and I'm going to be a sandwich. <laughs> but it was... It, it just, I remember leaving because that was the last, I think that that was the first day. And I want to say that that was the last set I shot on the first day, if I'm remembering right. And I remember leaving like, and unlike any other point in my career behind the camera shooting music, I, I remember leaving that set thinking that, yes, I am doing the right thing. This is, this is the work that I need to be doing. Mm. And I felt like I felt super energized about it. Um, you know, I really like the photos that, that I got and it's just, there's something when all of the dots line up 
you know, when the, the energy of the crowd is there, when the photos mm-hmm. turn out, when the performance itself is good, when they're really into it, like it just all, everything lined up perfectly for that show. I know exactly the feeling you're talk, talking about, and it is the best in the world. Well, Mike, it's been an absolute pleasure um, chatting with you today, and I bet I'll see you this weekend. <laughs> There's a good chance, yes. <laughs> good chance. I don't know. I'll, I'll be seeing you in the near future. I'm sure we'll be crossing paths. But for now, thank you so much again for coming on for our podcast. Me. We'll be right back in conversation with Interim Executive Director for the Ingler, John Chickenhouse. Did you know that you could be promoting your business, organization, or event to Best Show Ever podcast listeners by placing an ad here on the show? Sponsoring Best Show Ever or other Inglert programming ties your brand to a local legacy, the Inglert Theater, and your support of the Inglert now means more than ever before. In 2020, we experienced a significant revenue shortfall brought on by the COVID-19 pandemic. Through this financially tumultuous time, we're producing new digital productions, including this podcast, our Stages Concert Series, and Witching Hour Festival, all to inspire positive community growth through the arts. Packages range from $100 on up. Our investment in the arts community is only possible with support from sponsors like you, and arts supporters are known for supporting those that support the arts. Visit englert.org slash sponsorship for all of the information about how to advertise. I mean, you're listening right now. Place your ad here, englert.org slash sponsorship. John Shikadens is the marketing director and, as of this week, interim executive director for the Englert Theater. I've had the pleasure of working on the marketing team with John for the past couple of years and I'm so excited for you all to get to know him more because he rocks. Oh my gosh, John. <laughs> John, thanks for uh, being willing to uh, get on the other side of the podcast um, and be our interviewee today. You're welcome. I have seen many of these interviews take place and never thought I would be on this side of it. So it's going to be a real trip. Welcome to Superstardom, John. <laughs> so let's kind of start pre-Inglert. You spent 10 years working your way up the marketing ranks at Midwest One Bank before you came onto the Inglert team, which was a little over two years ago, two and a half years ago. Yeah, July of 2019. So what was making that leap like? Because it seems like to go from... The world of banking to the world of nonprofit arts is like as much of a leap almost as you can get. Yeah, um, I would even back up a little bit before I went into marketing. Um, you know, I started at Midwest One Bank as a part-time teller while I was in college. So, um, you know, kind of the frontline person for helping people with their banking mm-hmm. and... Uh, just kind of worked myself up from there. After graduation, I became a personal banker and then eventually was promoted to assistant manager. So lots of changes in that realm. And then 
you know, from the time that I began working at the bank, I had always had this goal to become assistant manager. So once that happened, I kind of was like, uh, mm. what now? So um, it took some time, you know, really had a um, kind of come to Jesus moment with my five-year plan and then decided marketing is really kind of where I wanted to go. Um, because it really interests me, you know, what makes people make decisions? How do people get from point A to point B in, you know, uh, in relation to their culture and things like that? So that's why I made that change and then just kind of worked my way up. And yeah, once the position opened up at the Angler, I kind of had to do another hard look at myself Mm -hmm. and banking was fun um, met a lot of good people while I was working there, but ultimately kind of wanted to get into something that I felt was really giving back to the community. And at the time, Strength and Grow Evolve was just kind of kicking off. And so there was a lot of energy around the Ingler and film scene at the time, as there still is. But it was just a, a really exciting time to kind of think about what the Inglert's doing, and it's also really nice to work for an organization that's really loved by the community. So, threw my hat in the ring for that consideration and was given the opportunity. Mm. I feel like a lot of people, like kind of like myself, getting into the arts, like an arts job, is like the lifelong, is like the mission from the beginning, is like go dead sprint towards the arts because... You know, that's just, like, what was the vision to begin with. Um, But I feel like because you kind of, like, had all this experience outside of the arts and are now coming into it, you bring so much perspective and experience um, from that. What do you think, you know, that that you learned from Midwest One? How how is that going to help you be executive director? Like, what skills did that experience bring to this? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think you hit on something really important. I came from a long kind of career in business. Mm -hmm. And even here at the Ingler, it's pretty, we have a lot of artists that work on stuff, which is amazing. They're amazing people to work with that just have a different level of creativity than I could ever imagine. But I do tend to look at things more from a business perspective. And so there's things like, you know, hardcore budgeting discussions and management of large staffs and operational effectiveness and efficiency and project management and all of those sorts of things that I learned prior to being here at the Angler are really helpful. And I'm not going to lie, before... I worked at the bank and even, you know, in my first few years working as a teller, there was some hardcore customer service jobs that I had in there Mm. that I take those skills with me everywhere I go. Those are some Mm -hmm. of the best skills that I, that I ever learned in my career. Um, And just being able to know how to deal with difficult uh, situations and manage customer expectations and things like that. I think are helpful no matter what job you have. So there's definitely a lot of things that I'm bringing into this new role from that business side of things. Are there any specific goals you have or abstract goals that you have for yourself or for the org? Yeah, definitely. There are a couple of things that I have on my radar. You know, I mentioned that, uh, 
a lot of my skills are related to, you know, business and how a business is run. I don't have that artist side, um, you know, that a lot of our other employees do. And so a lot of what I'm looking at right now is how do we take the momentum that we built from the SGE campaign, the collaboration, the increase in awareness in the community, um, engagement with our friends uh, program, all of those sorts of things. How do I make sure that we continue that momentum by building in efficiencies into our team, making sure that our teams are well supported in terms of the personnel that we need, and making sure that the patron experience is as good as possible. Um, one of the major things that we're working on as a company right now is we are changing our ticketing and donor management software so that we can create benefits um, or create workflows that benefit our patrons and donors so that things are just a lot more streamlined. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of what I'm working on right now. Um, you know, I hinted at you know, collaboration in the arts community. One of the good things that came out of the campaign was the Downtown Iowa City Arts Alliance. And I'm excited to talk with those other, you know, our counterparts out in the community because I think there are really amazing things going on um, from all the arts orgs. So making sure that we collectively maintain that momentum as well so that Mm -hmm. um, we can continue to build a more equitable place to live. In the coming weeks slash months, you'll be working with the board and our staff to hire a programming director. Um, I'm curious what that process is going to look like, i.e., are we reaching out? Like, who are we talking to? How does that work? And then, more importantly, what would an ideal candidate look like for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the programming director is a position that has um, until now been rolled up in the executive director position. So Andre did both programming and his executive director duties. We feel it's really important that those be separated out to be able to give the ED the space that they need to run the business uh, mm-hmm. while also making sure we have a focused attention on programming because it's such a crucial part of what we do. Um, We will be accepting applications um, online, um, and it will go through a several-stage process. So there'll be an initial um, review done um, by the committee, and then anybody who's invited back for second interviews will also get an opportunity to speak with some members of our staff. This is a senior uh, staff member position, so we need to really make sure that they can work well with the rest of our staff and fit into the culture that we built here at the Ingler. So that'll be an important uh, part of that process. In terms of an ideal candidate, I think there's a couple different things that um, I can't give you a direct answer because different people have different skills that can benefit the organization and that program in very different ways. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, one of the things that we're really concerned with and making sure that we continue on is creating space for diversity and inclusion in the programming that we're doing. That is absolutely crucial to the mission of the Ingler, but also just benefits our community so much that that we want to make sure that that's a major focus. So somebody that has um, some experience in that realm, 
um, can think critically about where we might be missing the mark and try to fill gaps mm -hmm. in, in our programming is really important. The work that Andre does and um, the work that Savannah has done here at the company um, before she moved on, it, it is a skill, um, making sure that you are doing what's right for the agent and the artist, but also trying to meet the needs of your own organization. That, that kind of puts you in a difficult situation sometimes and, and it's a, um, there's mm -hmm. a finesse that comes from that. So I can't give you uh, an exact answer on, you know, we want A, B, and C, um, but we, ha we know what we're interested in seeing ultimately in, in that programming. So just getting somebody that can kind of fill that need. Mm, for sure. Okay, last question before we talk about your best show ever. Just seeing, you know, being someone who's worked with you for a while now, knowing just how pro you are and knowing that you could take those skills anywhere and probably go and make like a bajillion dollars somewhere, like working for a big corporation or something because you truly are just an incredible, hardworking person. Thank you. What is it about the Englert giving back to you spiritually that makes you continue to do this work here or are there moments that you can pinpoint that like drive you to continue doing all of this hard work that you're doing all the time yeah for sure i'll i'll give you a couple of things because i because i can <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna get more than one um so first off I'll say that this place really does feel like a family. Very, and I've said this, you know, several times over the last month, but from the moment I kind of was on the team, you're just kind of taken in in a way that you really do get a sense that people care about you. And, you know, if you have anything difficult going on in your life, people care about it and really take you in and um, they just care about your well-being in a way that's really, really nice. Um, and I think in some places can feel a little bit trite or um, disingenuous, but it doesn't here at all. Um, secondly, uh, just the, there are so many times I, I can describe this, but it's really hard to, um, to describe well unless you've actually encountered it. But on days when we have load-ins where artists are coming into the space and we are all you know typing away on our computers doing that business side of the Englert and you hear sound check begin mm. and you may not you have, may have been so focused on whatever work you were doing that you were like oh my god I forgot there was a show tonight mm -hmm. it is just mind-blowing when you encounter that and I'd like to say it's only the first time, but it continues to blow my mind when that happens. Just like the amount of talent that goes on and like being able to see artists in that really intimate way that like they're real people that are producing this amazing thing. Mm -hmm. um, that's always been really awesome for me. And then the third thing that I'll say is just our, I've said it several times during this interview even, but our real commitment to diversity and inclusion it's not lip service. There's been, um, you know, other organizations that I've been a part of in the past that um, talk about diversity and, and inclusion in a way that feels like checking a box. Yep. 
it never feels like that here. The, the employees are really committed to making sure that we do progress diversity and inclusion in every aspect of the way we do business. And that is just refreshing on so many levels. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, agree with everything you just said, especially the second, like hearing a sound check. Like when you're sending so many emails and talking to agents and you kind of forget that at the very center of all of that is like an individual who is just like divine from mm-hmm. heaven, who mm-hmm. makes beautiful and thought provoking things. And like once you like have that contact with that person, it's like, yeah, it's pretty explosive. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm glad you said that one. Well, and a lot of people, I think, don't realize that the whole part of the building where we do work every day is not in the theater, like it's not in the auditorium. And so you can forget sometimes that there's this whole really important room (laughs) attached to our office building, essentially. So it just kind of takes you back and centers you into like what's actually important going Mm, on here. Yeah, very centering. Okay, well, tell us the heck about your best show ever. I I don't think I know what it is. Um, so I'm intrigued. Yeah. So, um, this would have been, what, November of 2019? Mm-hmm. So, and you were there. Ooh, yay. Um, and I think you would probably list this as one of your favorite shows, too. Maybe. But, um, Witching Hour 2019. Mm-hmm. Sharon Udo. Oh, yeah. Counterfeit Madison. Um. Sharon goes by Counterfeit Madison, artist name, um, did a tribute to Nina Simone. And for me to tell you it was mind-blowing is, like, not enough. Mm-hmm. So, first off, we get into the theater, and, um, you know, it was a well-attended event. We all kind of, the Inglart staff kind of snuck up to the balcony and were, um, you know, trying to enjoy this out of everybody's way. The lighting that our lighting technicians did was just amazing. Like, mm-hmm. you get this um, back screen with um, fog, and um, it just was, like, ghostly feeling before anything even started. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, something's going on here. And the stage is set with a uh, baby grand piano, and... Sharon comes out, and I think you get into it, and you're like, I don't really know what to expect here, because it's a tribute to Nina Simone. Um, is Sharon just going to sing? What What's happening? And what we found out very quickly was, not only did Sharon do an amazing musical performance, um, her own renditions of these Nina Simone songs, But between the songs was just, like, equally as important. You're getting these stories about where Nina came from um, when the songs were written and where Sharon came from um, throughout their kind of progression as a human and Mm -hmm. how Nina's route overlapped with uh, Sharon's. And it just was, like, really mind-blowing to see not only an artist perform these songs, but talk about the way that they were influenced by Nina and how Nina really made real change um, in the communities in which she was active. It was just, like, really mind-blowing. Yeah. 
And I think after the fact, you know, the performance ended and we all just kind of looked at each other like, what did we just experience? <laughs> you yeah. know, it, it didn't even feel like it was a real thing. Um, yeah, it was just amazing. And then we go downstairs and Sharon's in the lobby giving free hugs, which anybody who knows Sharon knows that you get a free hug anytime mm-hmm. <laughs> you see them. So... Yeah, it was pretty just magical, really. And I think that's, like, the heart of what Witching Hour is, like, really trying to, like, get you into this thing that you're like, I don't really know what I'm signed up for. But then once it's over, you're like, wow. Yep. Wow. Yeah, that is definitely the beauty of Witching Hour. I par- I particularly remember the, the lobby afterwards and, like, I think people were, like, crying talking to Sharon. Yeah. There were other Witching Hour artists who came to the show and, like, you just got to watch them interact and be like, yeah. your performance is so powerful. Your performance is so powerful. That was really cool, too. And that's another, like, illustrative moment of, of witching hour. Um, yeah, seeing those artists give each other love and be like, you are so talented, I can't believe it, is yeah. like, yeah, I'm I'm so amazed that I got to see that as well. So Yeah, that was definitely a special show for everyone who was there. Very yeah. memorable. Plus, it was just a fun experience for our team to, to kind of be able to encounter together, I feel like. Oh, yeah, for sure. So. Well, John, thank you so much for um, meeting me down in this Ingler green room, um, special sacred space. Um, and, yeah, I'm just I'm very excited to see what you do as interim executive director. I literally couldn't fathom a more capable person, genuinely. So, um, yeah, excited to see what the this next chapter holds. Thanks, Allie. Me too. Our song of the week is I Love You by Lex Lido. I came across Lex because Dana T, engineer at Flat Black Studios, reposted a video clip of one of their songs and I screamed. It was so gloriously grungy and everything I love most. So that song led me to this song, which is incredible in a whole other way. I'm so excited to see what she does and I'm excited for you to hear them right now with I Love You. We're not the same, babe, as we were back then, but we're still two people who don't break or even cause I
Serving the Iowa City area, Martin Construction was voted Best Home Improvement Company by Little Village in 2019 and 2020. Martin Construction is here to improve your home and lifestyle, incorporating the best design, products, workmanship, service, and trade partners, and with the lowest impact on your personal and global environment. Visit them online at andrewmartinconstruction.com. Martin Construction, member of the Greater Iowa City Home Builders Association and Johnson County Affordable Housing Coalition. Support for this podcast comes from Friends of the Inglert. To learn more, visit inglert.org friends. Ongoing support provided by the National Endowment for the Arts and the Iowa Arts Council, a division of the Iowa Department of Cultural Affairs and by the United States Regional Arts Resilience Fund. Phase One is an initiative of Arts Midwest and its peer United States Regional Arts Organizations, made possible by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation.